It's common for us to be fascinated and intrigued by biblical prophecy. But when you read the book of Micah, you're reminded that biblical prophecy is not designed to entertain or fascinate us. It's given primarily to glorify the God of prophecy. It alerts us to the truly important things in life and moves us to greater faithfulness in serving Him. You'll learn more about this today in a lesson that Stephen called Peace on Earth at Last. Without a doubt, our lives are impacted, uh, even shaped to some degree, by our past. The decisions our parents made determined where we'd grow up, where we'd uh, go to school, whether or not we heard the gospel as a child. Recently, I was uh, rummaging through a box of memorabilia my mother had stored in the attic uh, for decades. It included my report cards from elementary school, and even in the first grade, my teacher had written, quote, Stephen probably will need extra help in math. (laughs) She couldn't have been more correct about that. It struck me, though, because I remembered who she was. I I remembered the quiet influence she had in my life as a child. Well, the history provided in the Bible is to influence us today, to encourage us. In fact, another unique emphasis of Scripture is that it, it encourages us to live our lives in light of the future, the future uh, judgment, the return of Christ, the completion of God's eternal plan, all of this is revealed in Scripture, and it's intended to mold us and and motivate us to walk with God. Well, this is part of Micah's prophetic mission. Now, in this little book of prophecy where we are today, he preaches three sermons to the divided nation, Israel and Judah. The first sermon in chapters 1 and 2 dealt with the sins of Israel and and Judah and the judgment that's going to come as a result. Well, the next two sermons are are going to follow the same pattern. Here in Micah chapter 3, Micah begins delivering his second discourse or sermon. Verse 1 begins, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel— You see, Micah is returning to the theme of judgment. First, judgment is coming upon Judah's leaders. In fact, the Lord asks here in verse 1, is it not for you to know justice? In other words, they knew better. They knew better than to be corrupt and unjust leaders. But verse 2 describes them as those who hate the good and love the evil. You see, they they turned everything upside down in order to pervert the truth and take advantage of the people. So, God tells them judgment is coming. It's coming, by the way, in the form of the Babylonian army. Now, having, having warned these corrupt leaders, the Lord now condemns the false prophets. He says here in verse 5, They lead my people astray by promising peace. Now, with that, Micah summarizes the corruption of the culture here in verse 11. Its leaders give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? 
no disaster shall come upon us. Well, therefore, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. Well, now with that, Micah moves into chapter 4 and what he calls the latter days. This is the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant promises. So in spite of the nation's disobedient history, the Lord is now promising that he will not abandon them forever. And this chapter describes the conditions of that future glorious millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ returns to earth to set up this kingdom. And Jerusalem is going to be, by the way, his international headquarters. Verse 1 tells us the temple will be rebuilt. It'll be at the center of the kingdom. Uh, He says here in verse 3, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. By the way, this verse matches uh, exactly Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. And this text is carved into the plaza just across the street today from the United Nations General Assembly building. Now, the purpose of the United Nations is to keep war from breaking out, and like every attempt of man to create peace, it's it's failed time and time. Again, I'm grateful for its efforts, but it isn't going to work. You see, this monument in the public park across the street from the United Nations, well, it, it's meant to highlight the work of that peacemaking body with this biblical verse, but it omits the surrounding verses which reveal what's necessary to make world peace possible and when it will come one day. For example, look here in Micah's prophecy at verse 7, the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. Of course, that's Jerusalem. There isn't going to be peace on earth until the Prince of Peace reigns on his kingdom throne one day, and that missing peace is put into place. Now here in chapter 5, we have this remarkable prophecy about the coming king given 700 years before Jesus was born. Listen here to verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Micah clearly states here that the king is going to be born in Bethlehem. You know, I often think of the chief priests and scribes at the time of Jesus' birth. They knew this prophecy. They knew it by heart. They expected their Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. And then the news comes, and they ignore it. And because of their rejection of Jesus way back in the beginning, even at his birth, Micah now prophesies here in verse 3 that the Messiah will give them up for a time. But eventually Israel will be regathered as a nation and converted to their Messiah who will return one day. In fact, Micah says here in verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock and he shall be their peace. Israel's enemies All idolatry, that's all going to be destroyed when Jesus returns. We're told here in verses 12 through 14, what a kingdom that's going to be. When peace on earth finally arrives in the person of the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Messiah. Now with that, the final sermon in Micah begins here in chapter 6 and verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. 
Well, once again, Micah condemns the people's sins. He speaks of the coming of God's judgment, and the people respond here in verse 7 by asking, you know, what kind of sacrifice can we bring to appease God? They think they can stall God's judgment with, you know, a little religious activity. And mankind does that to this day. Well, Micah answers here in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, the problem is nobody in Judah is interested in walking humbly with God. They're interested in a little religion. Let's burn a few candles and say a few prayers. Well, that's fine. But honest, genuine repentance for their sin is something they are not interested in, like so many people today. Well, Micah describes his generation with these tragic words here in chapter 7 and verse 2. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. In other words, you can't trust anybody in Judah. You can't trust your neighbors. You can't trust your friends. He says here in verse 5, you can't even trust your family members. He says in verse 6, everybody is out for himself. Now, you might be wondering then, how does a believer live for God in this kind of culture? Well, Micah gives us the answer here in verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So with that wonderful advice, Micah wraps up his little book of prophecy. He points ahead to the that future kingdom. He says here in verse 12, Oh, in that day, people are going to come from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So once again, Micah is turning his listeners' attention to that great, that great day, that, that future hope when everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Messiah is going to enter that kingdom and live with him. Now, that's our hope, too. And, and on what is that hope based Well, Micah gives us the answer as he records a a thanksgiving prayer of the redeemed. Let me me combine a couple of Bible versions to give you my rendering of verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, who pardons the guilt of the remnant, passing over transgressions of his people? You will not stay angry with your people forever, because you delight in showing unfailing love. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the sea. How can we have this rock-solid, sure hope for our future? Well, as Micah's little prophecy ends by telling us, because God has forgiven all of our past. Well, until our next Wisdom Journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're listening to The Wisdom Journey, and Stephen called this lesson, Peace on Earth at Last. This is my last opportunity to remind you of this month's free offer from our ministry. Has it ever occurred to you that, according to eyewitness accounts, Jesus never attended a funeral that he didn't entirely interrupt? Every time Jesus went to a funeral, 
the dead came back to life. The New Testament makes it clear. Jesus has power over death. The exciting news is that Jesus offers his resurrection power to you. And the question is not, will you live forever? The question is, where will you live forever? That's the most important question of your life, and a question everyone must settle. Once it's settled, it's settled forever. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Death is not the end to your story, and Stephen's resource called Resurrection Power will deepen your appreciation for what Jesus has done for you in offering you eternal life. Receive a free copy of this resource today at wisdomonline.org forward slash resurrection. Please do that. Then join us next time on The Wisdom Journey.